all foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day word for word from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said this, he showed unto them his hands and his side, and the disciples therefore were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be unto you. As the Father hath sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. Dr. Mitchell begins our study in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and continues to Galatians chapter 3. And once again, here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. And you know, it is a real joy for me to meet people here and there throughout the Pacific Northwest who are being blessed of the Lord through this ministry. Uh, it would be a lovely thing for me if you were to drop us a line or a card to say that the ministry of the Word of God has become very precious to you. Now, I recognize and I realize that as we study the book of Galatians, sometimes it's very, very difficult for those of religious flesh, those who are trusting, shall I change the words, for those who are trusting the arm of the flesh or religious feelings, or even religious experience, the trusting those instead of the work of Christ. It's so easy to do this. It's so natural to, the, to man to want to get credit for something that we do or we hope to do. 
And yet, when it comes down to the question of our standing before God, it must be entirely, completely holy in Christ. It is true that when one accepts the Savior and becomes a child of God, there comes a responsibility of glorifying God among men. But that's in other passages of Scripture, which we'll be glad to take up in due course of time. But there's one thing I do want to be very clear in your mind, that the Lord Jesus Christ, God's precious Son, who died for us and rose again, is a perfect, complete, all-sufficient Savior. As Paul could say in Ephesians chapter 1, the 6th verse, we are accepted in the Beloved. And that the Apostle Paul could say, in order to live unto God, he had to be delivered from the law, not only as a means of life, but as a rule of life. He was living unto God. Now, I know this is hard to take, at least for some of you, because there are a great many, in fact, a very common hell doctrine. It's true we are saved by faith, but we must keep the law as a rule of life. So we put ourselves under bondage, and may I say, you also put yourself under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But what I want to get to your heart is that death came in and severed the relationship from sin as a master and from the law as a rule of life, in order that I might live unto God. Now, I recognize that this is a doctrine and a teaching and a revelation to many people because it's so contrary to what man wants. We want some credit when we stand before God. Now, this is very commonly said by those who are not saved. I'm going to put my good works on one side of the scale and my bad works on the other side, and if my good works uh, outweigh the bad works, well, I'm, I'm sitting pretty good. Though, my friend, you, you and I who love the Savior know that this is not true. You can't find any, any ground for such a statement. This is only man's reasonings. And when a man says that, he has never seen the righteous character of God. And remember again, the gospel is a revelation of the righteousness of God. So what Romans 1.17 says. And until I have seen God in his righteousness, in his holy character, I will not appreciate his love. And the reason today why so, so few people, I'll put it this way, so few really love the Lord in a real, genuine way is because so few have seen the righteousness of God. And once you see the righteousness of God, the absolute holy character of God, and then we'll need an all-sufficient Savior. We'll realize the folly and the futility of trying to please God by our works. Now, I'm talking about salvation, remember. I'm talking about how, how to be saved, how to fit ourselves for the presence of God. And the moment you are saved, even after you've become a Christian, your standing before God is not helped by your goodness nor hurt by your badness. And I'm not making any brief for badness. Don't misunderstand me. But nothing you do is going to affect that standing in Christ. As Mr. Bunyan used to say, uh, thank God my righteousness is at the, at the right hand of God where my good works can't help it and my failures don't hurt it. You see, Christ is our righteousness. Now, Paul has made a statement in verse 19, I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. In Galatians chapter 2, I'm dealing with 19 to 21. 
the death has severed the relationship to the law. And I, when did that take place? I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live. My history as a sinner under the law came to an end. And remember, the law has had nothing to say since the cross. And you and I have been joined to the risen Christ, where the law has nothing to say. I, through the law, am dead to the law. I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ liveth in me. Now, let's go on from there. And again, I want to say what a, what a relief, and it is a real relief. From self-effort, I no longer live. Christ liveth in me. No more strain, no more struggle, no more worry about eternity. You mean to tell me, sir, you're not worried about that? If I give a personal testimony, I say, no, no. I'm not worried one little bit. In spite of my frailty and sometimes failures, as far as my standing in the presence of God in Christ is concerned, my friend, I have a bit of worry, no strain, no struggle. I'm just resting in the Lord Jesus. You know, I remember the testimony of a dear man of God who was very, very ill. In fact, he was very low. They didn't expect him to live, and his daughter came in to him. And when she came in, she found him halfway sitting up in bed because the bed was, was wound up for him so he could lean half sitting in bed. The Bible on his lap, and he said, You know, dear, I haven't enough strength to read my Bible. I haven't enough strength even to pray. So I'm just putting my head on the bosom of Jesus, my Savior, and have perfect rest. Now that's it. That's it. You see, our life as a sinner has come to an end. Christ now is my life. I no longer live, but Christ liveth in me. Aren't you dying daily? No, I'm not even dying daily. Unless someone check up on that, may I suggest there's only one place in the New Testament where it talks about dying daily, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul there is talking about the expectation of daily martyrdom. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what's the advantage of it all if the dead rise not? Behold, I die daily. It's a connection there, physical death. But now he's talking about a union with Christ. He's our substitute. When he died, I died. When he lives, I live. I'm not dying daily, I'm living daily. Can I repeat that? I'm not dying daily. I am living daily. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. It's a new life with new prospects, with new motives, with a new destination, with a new service. I'm not serving the Lord to get to heaven. I'm serving the Lord because I'm going to heaven. I'm not doing good works to fit me for the presence of God. I'm doing good works as best I can because I'm already in Christ fitted for heaven. I no longer live, Christ liveth in me. Now look at that 20th verse. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith or by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Ah, oh, what a wonderful statement. Who loved me and gave himself for me. A life lived on the principle of faith, not works. 
a life never found in or through law, but through a risen Christ. Confidence in the one who lives in me, Christ Jesus. I tell you, no wonder Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath below before ordained that we should walk in them. And again, that verse in Philippians 1.21, to me to live Christ, to die is to be with Christ, to watch the difference. Whether I live or die, it's Christ. Now, just one further word in verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. If righteousness come by the law, then Christ died in vain. What is he saying? If there's any possibility of a person being saved apart from faith in Christ, there was no need for Christ to die. If man can be saved by his works, then Christ died in vain. I've put it this way, the greatest mistake God ever made, if he ever made any mistakes, is when he allowed his son to come and die. If man can be saved by his own works, religious works, good works, any kind of works, no, my friend, listen, it was necessary that he should die because there was no other way whereby men and women could be saved. Is it nothing to you that Christ died for you? My friend, let's be very clear about this. God wants you to live, first of all, in his Son. And then as you yield yourself to him as one who was joined to the risen Christ, just inasmuch as you yield yourself to him, he lives out his life through you. In fact, I want to say God wants his own character to be revealed through his people. Indeed, this is why Paul could say in Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, don't you know that your body is now the sanctuary of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, and you're not your own, you're bought with a price? Therefore, because you're joined to a risen Christ, and because your body is the sanctuary of God, Glorify God in your bodies and in your spirits, which are God's. This is what Paul means in Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I was talking there to those who've accepted the Savior. He's talking to those who've already put their trust in Christ, those who've already been justified by faith. Now, having received the Savior, who's all-sufficient for every need, he wants me now to give my body over to him that he might use it for the manifestation of his character, of his love, of his grace, of his tenderness toward men and women. May I say again, what a Savior we have. What a salvation is this. How is it received? Just by simple faith. What do you mean by that? By putting your trust as a definite proposition between you and the Savior, putting your trust in him. Now, when we come to chapters 3 and 4, Paul takes up the question of the sufficiency of the gospel. First of all, in the first six verses, we see it's in their experience. Pardon me, the first five verses. I'd like to read it. The experience of these Galatian Christians should have taught them 
They should have known that they were saved entirely and completely by faith. Notice how he starts this chapter, third chapter of Galatians. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. And then he gives us four questions, four questions and answers. It's well for us to notice this. Now, these people had been justified. Uh, they had been established in the gospel, at least Paul thought they were established in the gospel, but they became sidetracked because of these false teachers who had come in and who had turned them away from the sufficiency of Christ. And Paul calls them bewitched. They had received everything thus far on the faith principle. They had received a real vision of Jesus Christ crucified. The gospel had come to them in power and with clarity. But now they had been told it was not enough. They had to add to what Christ has done. They had to add to Christ not only to be saved, but to be kept saved. You know, there are a lot of people who say they're saved by faith, but they've got to be kept saved by what they do. And Paul is going to talk, take two chapters on this to prove this is false. That the work of Christ is sufficient for time and for eternity, even for the life of a Christian. Indeed, he calls them bewitched. Or, as if I might be a little literal on that world, you've been blighted with an evil eye. You, you're without rhyme nor reason. You're foolish Galatians. The gospel came to you with such reality, with such clarity, with such power, that it was evident that the Lord Jesus had died to take your place. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you. It was so clear to them that when the Lord saved them out of their idolatry, and out of their sin, and out of their corruption, the Lord did the good job. He did the complete job. He was sufficient for that. And along came these false teachers who insisted that they must go through some rites, some ceremonies, keep the law, that they're going to keep their salvation. You're bewitched. Now, he proves the sufficiency of the gospel by their own experience in verses 2 to 5. Now, notice what he says. Notice the four questions he asks. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, by the way, as I read these questions, you'll notice the answer is so obvious. How did you receive the Spirit of God? Was it by works or by faith? If it's by faith, to what purpose then should you add law works? How did you receive the Spirit? By faith. And the Apostle Paul here is, shall I put it this way, mentioning the fact of their reception of the Spirit as being synonymous with their justification. How were you saved? How did you receive the Spirit? By faith. You remember in Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit, which was given unto you. When was this? When you accepted the Savior. Our Lord said in John chapter 7, uh, verses 37 to 39, uh, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. 
He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his body shall flow rivers of living water. This speak he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. The Spirit is not yet given, is not yet glorified. You'll notice that it was the moment a person is saved, they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, how did you receive it? By faith. Can you add to that? No. The second question, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Can you improve on what Christ has done? Can you add to what he has done? Can't you trust the Spirit of God to finish what he started? Isn't this what Paul says in Philippians 1.6? Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you shall perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Are you now made perfect by the flesh? There's only one answer. No, of course not. The third question, have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? They had renounced all the works of the flesh and of self and had accepted Christ as their Savior. And even when they accepted Christ as their Savior, they had been persecuted and they were suffering. Was it all in vain? Had they made a mistake in accepting Christ? Did they have to go to something else or to somebody else? Wasn't his work as sufficient? The fourth question, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? There's only one answer, my friend. That's by faith. There could only be one answer. The law never performed any miracles. The law never sustained anybody. The law never blessed anybody. The law had no mercy on anybody. The law is administration of death. All the law can do is to curse. Shall we then who have accepted the Savior, who has granted to us his Spirit, we received salvation by faith, all these things done by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith? Well, of course, there's only one answer to all four questions. By faith. Can you add to the work of Christ? <laughs> it's so impossible. Oh, friend, listen. To me, this is so clear. I sincerely hope it's clear to you. And if some of you think that I'm, I'm, I'm repeating this so much, well, you bear with me. Because there are hundreds of people who don't know this. And they're in bondage. They have no rest. They have no peace of heart. They have no peace of mind. Because they know if they're honest, if they're honest, they know that the works they accomplish cannot save them. And if they're saved, it can't keep their salvation. I'll say it very bluntly to every one of you who listen in. You who have trusted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. If your salvation to receive or to be kept is on the ground of one thing you can do, my friend, you're going to be lost. You're going to be lost. Either Christ is a perfect, complete, eternal, sufficient Savior, or he's not a Savior at all. What do you think about that? Why don't you just rest in the Savior? I quoted a a little song the other day. 
I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And a, a, a song you all sing, and, and sometimes I wonder if you know what you're singing when, when we sing, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground, all other ground is sinking sand. It is not thy tears, nor repentance, nor prayers that atones for the soul. These things can't atone for the soul. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Friend, why not make Christ your refuge? Why not make Christ your savior? Why not put your trust in him? He's all sufficient. Just stop your deadly doing and trust Jesus. He's a wonderful savior. He's a marvelous Lord. And why not revel in him today? Just start today to revel in the Savior, not in yourself, not in what you do or hope to do, but revel in what he has done for you. Fall in love with him. He's a wonderful Savior. He's a wonderful Lord. Enjoy him today, won't you? Why not have a little fellowship with him today? Read his word, let him talk to you. And thus, grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And the Lord bless you for his name's sake. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.